Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Temple University in Philadelphia is today honoring the President of the United States. He is to receive the honorary degree of Doctor of Jurisprudence. The President left Washington on his special train early this morning and is due momentarily here in the auditorium in Mitten Memorial Hall on the campus of Temple University. At present, he is in the Mitten Hall Club Room being greeted by a Citizens Reception Committee of Philadelphia headed by Mayor S. Davis Wilson. Donning cap and gown preparatory to receiving his degree, he will soon make his appearance at this point and the formal exercises will begin. This is Founders Day at Temple, the traditional annual observance of the birthday of Dr. Russell H. Conwell, distinguished clergyman, lecturer, educator, and philanthropist. Dr. Conwell founded Temple University in 1884 with an original class of seven students. In striking contrast to its small beginning, the school is today a great urban institution of learning with a student enrollment of more than 11,000. It is coeducational and non-sectarian. Dr. Conwell was known to millions of Americans through his famous inspirational lecture, Acres of Diamonds, to which thousands have attributed their success in life. I'm told he delivered this lecture more than 6,000 times and in all parts of the world. He earned millions of dollars lecturing, practically all of which he turned over to poor but deserving young men and women for education. He founded Temple University on the basic principle of democratic higher education, specifically for serious-minded, underprivileged youth. President Roosevelt is making another of his, his hurry-up trips. He's in Philadelphia only for a little while this morning, and then he goes on to Cambridge. A few hours there, and he'll be on his way to his home at Hyde Park, New York, where he will rest for a few days before returning to the White House. Since assuming the presidency, he has been honored by several universities and colleges. I recall that he has had honorary degrees conferred upon him by the Catholic University of America in Washington, Washington College at Chestertown, Maryland, the College of William and Mary at Williamsburg, Virginia, Yale University, and only recently, the University of Notre Dame. The president will receive his degree personally from Dr. Charles E. Berry, president of Temple University, in this spacious auditorium, which is the center of student extracurricular activities. The president will face a visible audience of approximately 3,000 persons already gathered here to hear him. Over 900 of them are students, including the contingent comprised of the mid-year graduating classes. Also, there are representatives of every campus organization and all of the school's academic departments. The 600 members of the faculty have taken the seats reserved for them here in the front. They're all dressed in their cap and gowns. The auditorium has been beautifully draped and decorated with bunting and flags for this occasion. An invocation by the Reverend Francis M. Tate, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania, will open the exercises. Following brief introductory remarks by Dr. Berry and a vocal solo by Giuseppe Agostini, former member of the music faculty, the president will be presented for his degree. The citation, will be read by the governor of Pennsylvania, the Honorable George H. Earl. Then the president of the university will confer the degree upon the president of the United States. The speech of President Roosevelt will be the principal address in these Founders Day exercises on George Washington's birthday. In the short journey from his train to Mitten Memorial Hall, the president had a most colorful guard of honor, the mounted First City Troop, all direct descendants of the famous First City Troop of Revolutionary War days. The original troop was organized by 28 gentlemen of Philadelphia in 1774. 
under the title Light Horse of the City of Philadelphia. Those gentlemen were equipped at their own expense, chose their own officers, and then volunteered their services to the Continental Congress. The uniform of today is the same as worn by members of the original troop. We saw them this morning as they were on their way to the station to await the arrival of the President of the United States. They were uniformed in dark brown coats, faced with white, and white vests and breeches, and they certainly must have made not a few of the revolutionary lassies' hearts palpitate. In those days, the troop wore a black hat bound with a silver cord and a buck's tail, fastened either on the side of the back of the hat. Their flag embodied the earliest use of the 13 stripes to symbolize the American colonies or states. The motto, for these we strive, was written on the flag. Discharged by Washington in January 1777, they were frequently employed in escort duty and other service during the Revolutionary War. Later, the troop helped to put down the Whiskey Rebellion, and at the outbreak of the Southern Rebellion, tendered its services to the government. And now the honored guests have begun to arrive here on the platform. We see Senator Guffey of Pennsylvania, who has just come in and taken the seat in the front row. Mrs. Roosevelt, looking very charming indeed this morning, in a new black gown with a little white collar. The other guests now filing in here at the rear of the platform. And we expect that it will be only a few moments until the president himself puts in an appearance. All of the invited guests, the faculty and the students gathered here in this great Mitten Memorial Hall have risen now, and they're awaiting the arrival of the president. Dr. Francis Berry, president of Temple University, has just come in. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, with his military aide, Colonel Edwin M. Watson. University playing Hail to the Chief. president is standing here waving to the crowd and receiving their applause and now he's taking his seat and the other guests on the platform are also being seated. In just a few moments you will hear the voice of Dr. Francis Berry, the president of the university who will preside over these exercises. Dr. Berry. In the history of American democracy, we find three great crises when the principles of freedom and equality hung in the balance. On each of these occasions, a leader has arisen to maintain, defend, and give new meaning to those principles. One crisis was that winter when Washington and his men held their lines at Valley Forge. One was that day when the South rolled up its forces to the high watermark of the Confederacy on the fields of Gettysburg. The third, and pray God the last, was that bleak March day 
1933, when a great president took the helm of a foundering ship of state. his great humanitarian and liberal viewpoints, for his unflinching courage in the midst of chaos, for his broad vision and warm human sympathies, for his epoch-making achievements, America today recognizes a statesman whose equal we shall not see again in our lives. To the living jurisprudence, to the jurisprudence that deliberately sets out to change, to take in the new, to discard the outmoded and outworn, this man, this great leader, has made a magnificent and historic contribution. President Berry, I have the distinguished honor to present to you for the degree of Doctor of Jurisprudence, this great American, the President of the United States of America, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. President, because of the reasons advanced by Governor Earl, because of the great accomplishments that have marked your administration and indeed your whole life, a truly great public servant. One who has, in course, practically worked for such a degree, and whom it is our privilege and honor, by virtue of the authority conferred upon Temple University by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and delegated to me as president, to hereby confer upon you the degree of Doctor of Jurisprudence, with all the rights, privileges, and opportunities therein contained. faculty, students of Temple University, the great host of friends who are here, 
who are listening in this occasion over four national radio broadcasting systems, it is my privilege to introduce you to the President of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who will now address you. of Temple University, and I'm glad to be able to say now, my fellow alumni. <laughs> I have just had bestowed upon me a twofold honor, for I am honored in having been made an alumnus of Temple University. And I am honored in having had conferred upon me for the first time the degree of Doctor of Jurisprudence. It is a happy coincidence that we should meet together and pay our respects to the cause of education not only on the birthday of the father of this nation, but also in the halls of a very great institution that is bringing true education into thousands of homes throughout the country. In Washington's wise and kindly way, I have always felt certain that he deeply appreciated the importance of education in a republic. I might say throughout a republic. And also the responsibility of that thing known as government to promote education. Let this simple statement stand by itself without the proof of quotation. I say this lest in this year of 1936, if I quoted excerpts from the somewhat voluminous writings and messages of the first president of the United States, some captious critic might search the Library of Congress to prove by other quotations that George Washington was in favor of just the opposite. <laughs> Therefore, on this anniversary of his birth, I propose to break a century-old precedent. I shall not quote 
from George Washington on his birthday. <laughs> more than that, and breaking precedent once more, I do not intend to commence any sentence with these words. If George Washington had been alive today, or if Thomas Jefferson, or Alexander Hamilton, or Abraham Lincoln had been alive today, per adventure, beyond a doubt, or perhaps the other way around, etc., etc., etc. Suffice it to say, then, that what Washington did point out on many occasions and in many practical ways was that a broad and cosmopolitan education in every stratum of society is a necessary factor in any free nation governed through a democratic system. Strides toward that fundamental object were great, as we know, in the first two or three generations of the Republic. And yet you and I can confidently assert that the greatest development of general education in the United States has occurred within the past half century. Indeed, within the lives of a great many of those of us who are here today. As literacy increases, people become aware of the fact that government and society form essentially a, com a cooperative relationship among citizens and between the citizens and the selected representatives of those citizens. When we speak of modern progress, it seems to me that we place altogether too much emphasis on the progress of material things, in invention, in industrial development, in growth of mere national wealth. But progress in the things of the mind has been even more striking than all of these put together in these past 50 years. In my childhood, a high school education was an exceptional opportunity for an American boy or girl. A college education was possible only to an exceedingly small minority. And professional schools had hardly come into existence. And yet, since 1900, 36 years ago, while the nation's population has increased by about 70%, the enrollment in all branches of institutions of higher learning has increased well over 400%. And that tells the story. At the beginning of this century, the total enrollment in our colleges and institutions, universities, was just 
one student short of 168,000. And I think it's too bad that the enumerators and the college president didn't get that other one student. It would have been so much easier for uh, these uh, statisticians and enumerators in this year. And today, instead of 168,000 less one, over a million students are seeking degrees in our colleges and universities, and more than 700,000 more are enrolled in extension courses and summer schools. I think that we of Temple University, and you see I'm exercising my right now to speak as an alumnus. <laughs> we can take special pride in the part that our institution here has taken in this growth. For Temple has carried into practice the basic ideal of its great founder, Dr. Russell Conwell. And I'm very happy to think back to the days when I was in college and heard him deliver that famous lecture of his to almost every man, woman, and child in the United States was helped by. Dr. Conwell believed that every young person should be given a chance to obtain a good education and he founded Temple to meet the needs of those who might not be able to afford a college education in other halls. He believed that education should respond to community needs and to fit itself into the many-sided and complex life that modern conditions have imposed upon us. And so I shall watch with the keenest interest the working out of the plan recently adopted by Temple for carrying even further the practical application of this practical guiding ideal. I refer to the plan for forming an organization to be known as the Associates of Temple University and to be composed of representatives of the various commercial, industrial, financial, and professional interests of the community outside the university's walls. As I understand it, and this is something that every other university could well afford to emulate, as I understand it, this organization will be far more than a mere advisory body set up to meet on special and infrequent occasions and to draft recommendations of a general character. The associates of Temple University will be an integral and organic part of the university structure. The individual associates will have clearly defined duties and responsibilities, which they will carry out according to a definite plan. 
and their purpose will be to serve as the eyes and ears of the university throughout the community, constantly alert to the changing social and economic needs, and continuously interpreting these needs to the university itself. I am proud to be the head of a government which tries to think along similar lines, a government that has sought and is seeking to make a substantial contribution to the cause of education, even in a period of economic distress. Through the various agencies of the national government, we have been helping educational institutions not only to maintain their existence, but helping them to add to their equipment and their offerings to the youth of the country. Since 1933, the government has made, through the various national agencies of the administration, allotments of various kinds to communities for schools, colleges, and library buildings amounting to more than $400 million. I won't go into higher mathematics and tell you the number of man-hours for the unemployed that that's created, but you can work it out for yourself. And you will agree with me that that expenditure of money has served at least two purposes. Yes, and we're also providing, in addition to bricks and mortar and labor and loans. We're also providing through the Works Progress Administration educational courses for thousands of groups of adults wherever there are competent unemployed teachers. And through the National Youth Administration, funds for part-time employment to help deserving young people to earn their way through accredited colleges and universities in every part of the United States. I think that we have rightly taken the position that in spite of the fact that economic adversity through all these years might impose upon the youth of the country distressing and unavoidable burdens, the government owed it to the future of the nation to see that these burdens should not include the denial of educational opportunities for those who are willing and ready to use them to advantage. <laughs> educational progress 
In the past generation has given to this country a population more literate, more cultured in the best sense of the word, more aware of the complexities of modern civilized life than ever before in our history. And while the methods of spreading education are new, the lessons of education are eternally old. The books may be new, but the truth is old. The qualities of a true education, I take it, remain what they were when Washington insisted upon its importance. First among the qualities is a sense of fair play among men. As education grows, men come to recognize their essential dependence one on the other. There is revealed to them the true nature of society and of government, which in a large measure culminates in the art of human cooperation. The second great attribute of education is peculiarly appropriate to a great democracy. It is a sense of equality among men, equality when they are dealing with the things of the mind. Inequality may linger in the world of material things, but great music, great literature, great art, and the wonders of science are and should be open to all. And finally, a true education depends upon freedom in the pursuit of truth. No group, no government can properly prescribe precisely what should constitute the body of knowledge with which true education is concerned. The truth is found when men are free to pursue it. Genuine education is present only when the springs from which knowledge comes are pure. It is this belief in the freedom of the mind written into our fundamental law, observed in our everyday dealings with the problems of life that distinguishes the United States of America, I think, above every nation in the world. In our ability to keep pure the sources of knowledge, in our mind's freedom to winnow the chaff from the good grain, in the even temper, in the calmness of our everyday relationships, in our willingness to face the details of fact and the needs of temporary emergencies, in all of these lie our future and our children's future. On your own heads, in your own hands, the sin and the saving lie. Gentlemen, you have heard an address by the President of the United States delivered before the Founders' Day 
ceremonies on the occasion of the Founders' Day ceremonies of Temple University in Philadelphia. The President received also the honorary degree Doctor of Jurisprudence, and he was presented for his degree by the Governor of Pennsylvania, the Honorable George H. Earl. He was introduced to the audience here by the President of the University, Dr. Charles E. Berry. This broadcast announced by Carlton Smith has come to you from Mitten Memorial Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania through the National Broadcasting Company.